You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your marvelous hosts. And welcome to episode five. This week, we are going to be talking about the queen of historical fiction, Kristen Hanna, and her new book, The Four Winds. I cannot wait to jump into this Dust Bowl story. But first, Kimmy, what else have you been reading? So I just finished In Five Years by Rebecca Searle, which was pretty good, and I started Writers and Lovers by Lily King, and I'm enjoying that one so far. What about you? Um, I am just about done. Actually, I had to peel myself away uh, to come over here and record this. Um, The Silent Patient by Alex, I cannot say his last name, Uh, I'm sorry, what? Michael Ides? Michael Ides. I am so sorry. (laughs) I cannot say your name. It's okay. You guys should hear the way she pronounces Luce. Uh, No, you mean Luke. (laughs) It's wild. Still still reeling from that about three episodes ago. It's fine. I will never get over it. No, because Instagram proved you wrong. I think once they had the full context, they mm. were on my side. Mm. Phonetics versus knowing what it's actually short for changes the story. But I knew what it was short for. And you were still wrong. And it That's was... stubborn. <sighs> stubborn as hell. Like me, who won't <laughs> let this go. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> if you want to catch up on that, we have past episodes. We have reviews for all of our books that we read on our Instagram at The Lost Chill. As usual, this episode will contain spoilers. Without further ado, let's get this party started. Let's get this party started in here. Oh, wait. I probably shouldn't sing that. We'll probably have to pay for that. I'm not going to sing anymore. Uh, Oh, wait. No. You didn't pay for 98 Degrees. Are you saying that your singing's better than mine? That it's going to be so much more realistic <laughs> yes, and on point? Exactly <laughs> that we have saying. to pay for yours, but <laughs> mine, they're like, oh, that dead cat? We don't have to worry about that one. Thanks. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. You're welcome for my service. <sighs> mm-hmm. All right. So, The Four Winds is Kristen Hanna's 24th book. And for a long time, she would write a book a year up until 2008. And that's when she wrote Firefly Lane, and she started taking two years to write one book. So as of today's recording, The Four Winds is averaging a 4.49 on Goodreads. So I had the pleasure of attending a virtual book tour session with Kristen Hanna and Jody Picot, which was amazing because Kristen Hanna gave us such a glimpse into her mind to show how this book was born. She basically said she knew what she wanted to say. And then she looked for the moment in history that matched up what she had to say. She really gravitated towards the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression, citing the reason as being that all the stories she knew from that time were 
about men told by men. And so she wanted to insert women back into history since, you know, they were there the whole time too. They were? They were there? Shocking, I know. Hmm. Fairly. Probably not doing anything important. Just having babies usually. Cleaning. What? Cleaning? Oh. (laughs) Dusting, maybe. (laughs) So... In the acknowledgments of the four wins, after you've read and had your heart ripped apart, Kristen Hannah mentions she is grateful for the original notes of Sonora Bab and suggests her book, whose names are unknown to anyone interested in the time period. Have you ever heard of that book? No, I have not. Perhaps you've heard of another book about the same time period, one called Grapes of Wrath? Pretty sure I read that in middle school. I was forced to. Oh, I read it in high school. Oh, did you? Maybe it was high school. Yeah. One of the two. So how's this for crazy, unfair, and ridiculous? Sonora Babb and John Steinbeck wrote their books about the Dust Bowl era at the same time. Babb volunteered with the Farm Security Administration in 1938 as an assistant to Tom Collins. Her job was to work with the migrant workers flooding California, and her duties included taking detailed notes on the specifics of their lives, from their living conditions to speech patterns to what they did for entertainment, just essentially what it was like for them. She gave her notes to her boss, Tom Collins. Guess who Grapes of Wrath is dedicated to because he helped so much in the development of its writing? Well, could that be none other than Tom Collins? You would be right. And so while... No one doubts or argues that John Steinbeck did a lot of research for his own book. Tom Collins knew that his employee, Sonora Babb, was essentially writing the same book and had submitted chapters, and Tom Collins shared her notes with Steinbeck. It's not known how the notes were given to him, if it was in a generic FSA report, or if he knew they were coming specifically uh, from her, but it is known kind of that Tom Collins gave him some of her notes from actually being there too. And so as we know, John Steinbeck's book went on to be touted as a great American novel that has been required reading forever for nearly everyone. And it took off so quickly that no one wanted a book from this completely unknown female author during the same time period on the same subject. And so her book didn't get published until 2004 when she was 97 years old. A year before she died. So that's freaking terrible. That sucks. However, the silver lining is I'm glad that she did get to see her works be published. And um, sucks that she didn't get to <laughs> she enjoy actually, it. <laughs> well, luckily, she was still a writer. And so she did actually have other books oh, okay. be published. Okay. But the sad, unfair, cruel irony was mm-hmm. that her very first book that she wrote was the last one that was published and mm. took the longest yeah. to get published. So so did when Chris and Hannah was talking about this, did she say anything about what her thoughts were writing this book and knowing that information and being a female writing a book about females in the Dust Bowl? She just thought it was so important and didn't really enjoy that we missed out on that female perspective mm-hmm. when it was there and available to us. It was just that nobody wanted it at the time. Which sucks. It does suck a lot. And so, you know, Chris and Hannah actually talked about more in detail about Sonora Bab during her little book tour, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Because reading that in the acknowledgments, like you always see what her research is, but she didn't mm-hmm. give the story of it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that's who she was talking about. And that's how I knew who to look up. And so it's pretty incredible. But 
That's awesome that she put that in her acknowledgement. So yeah, so that's great. So, um, did you enjoy the grapes of wrath? Mm. <laughs> I think you could say it was like Loretta and that I didn't enjoy anything that I was supposed to. And I don't know how I would have felt about it. Had I come across it on my own, I think I probably just didn't like it cause I was supposed to read it. Yeah. That's how kind of I felt too. I was initially thinking that maybe I would reread it after reading this, being an adult now and not being forced to read it, but I kind of don't want to after that. Sure as shit, if I read a book about the Dust Bowl, it's going to be Whose Names Are Unknown by Miss Sonora Babb. Yep, certainly. So I really loved learning that and so many other nuggets about this book and insight. I wish I had taken advantage of the book tour being virtual and just gone to like all of them. I know. <laughs> to see what she could have said. Because uh, it was awesome. But I'll try to slip in more throughout the podcast. But I guess to conclude this little intro, can you guess how she came up with the title of tonight's featured book? Because it was windy. There was something about it actually in the book. The title was mentioned. Oh, it's not even that. It's not even that? Uh-uh. So basically... Her and her publisher were going back and forth for like 18 months trying to agree on a title. Mm -hmm. And so she and her family, they all had tickets to go see some Frozen play. Oh, gosh. And like her, the kids, her husband, everyone. But all the kids got sick. So it was just her and her husband going to like Disney mania. (laughs) Like just craziness. What's wrong with that? I don't think anything is, but she says as they were driving there in the LA traffic, she sees a bus pull up and the bus randomly on the side said the four winds. So she took a picture on it and sent it to her publisher and was like, eh? And her publisher was like, yeah. That's hilarious. I know. So bus gave her the title. The bus, yeah. yeah. So I just enjoy learning everything leading up to it and just what goes into creating a book and it's you know, curious backstory at the book tour. It was so fun. Yay, book tours. Yay, book tours. <laughs> All right. So you lucky bitch. I had to work during that time. So <sighs> let's get into what I do know and love. The four winds. We start off meeting a very isolated and frustrated Elsa who was kept in a bubble by her parents because of an illness as a child and deemed too fragile to do anything. No work, no school, no fun, nothing that could possibly cause her to exert herself. And while they kept her more or less locked up because they just supposedly cared so much about her health and well-being, they didn't show any love or affection towards her. She wasn't just isolated from the world, she was isolated within her family and felt like an outsider even there. She escaped that loneliness by reading books. And one night at 25 years old, she gets tired of living only through her books and decides to sneak out and live a story of her own. After being denied access to a speakeasy, she thinks her fun is over before it's even begun. But then she happens across a young 18-year-old man named Rafe. Is that how you say it? That's not how I say it. How do you say it? I say Raph. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like Riff Raff? Because that's what he is. He is. He is Riff Raff. Now I'll think of him Fucking like that. Fucking A, no. Why can't we agree on names? Who knew that would be the biggest point Seriously. of contention in our podcast every goddamn week? Oh. Rafe equals Raff. Riff Raff. We'll put up another oh, poll. All the name polls. All the name polls. 
uh what was the hashtag i used name oh i don't know i don't remember name debate name debate. hashtag name debate and so it continues forever forever and ever and ever i guess i assume did it ever say his full name i think i just Raphael. was it yeah, so why would you change the pronunciation when you shorten it yet again? That's not a thing. <laughs> Have you ever seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? They don't call them Raph. Yes, they do. I don't know. <laughs> They're turtles and a half Actually, shell. I think they call them Raph Turtle or power. something. Raphael. I think they call them Raphael, yeah. That's not Rafe. Raphael? Fucking A. <laughs> Continuing. <laughs> it's fucking Rafe. Vote with me, Team Katie. They continue seeing each other in the hidden shadows of midnights, and she ends up becoming pregnant. She was so sheltered that she didn't even realize she was pregnant. I don't even know if she realized that's how it worked, and that was a consequence of what they were doing. Her mom actually realized she was pregnant after she was just sick a few times. So that blew my effing mind. That blew my effing mind! Because she's 25 years old. Yeah. And she has, like literally no idea that she's pregnant but yet she's got morning sickness and you know she's got all the symptoms and it never even crossed her mind isn't that sad yeah it was really sad immediately after that like not even a night to sleep on it or check for any other symptoms besides morning sickness didn't even go to the doctor nothing her parents straight up disowned her they tell her to pack her shit and leave with her and Rafe's or leave her with Rafe's family and let them deal with the consequences. Quit flipping me off. <laughs> Raph had been engaged <laughs> to somebody else and he was ready to go to college. His parents had big plans for him. However, they accepted the change in plans with the kind of grace and love anyone in that situation would want. They became the family that Elsa never had. There was a steep learning curve for her. Not only had her family been more affluent, but they literally let her do nothing but read. However, in this circumstance, Elsa thrived. I think it was the combination of being able to do hard work and thus feeling like she had purpose and just flat out being loved and accepted in a family. It does a lot. So in the beginning, wheat farming is very prosperous, but a drought starts to fall over the land and they continue to wait for rain that never comes. And things only get worse. Dust storms start. They're relentless. We know this as the Dust Bowl. But Chris and Hannah does a fantastic job at describing just how fucking terrible these times were and how hard it was to live on a farm during this terrible drought. Through the, I don't know, first half of this book at least, maybe a little bit longer, first two-thirds of this book, it is severely depressing. It really is. Just mind-blowing depressing. And... Actually, I would say probably the majority of this book is just... Probably the majority. Basically, from the drought initially, it just gets worse and worse for Elsa. Her husband leaves her. Her daughter gets unbelievably angsty over blaming her mom for his leaving and for everything else wrong in the world. I can relate to that shit. Her son gets <laughs> dust pneumonia. They're forced to leave after he gets so sick. Raph's family won't join her on the road after all. They can't catch a break in California when they finally get there. They're treated like dirty beggars. They can't even find work. Yeah. It's hard to read because truly every time you thought things couldn't get worse than they were, they did. 
And while so much suffering was unavoidable and Elsa was always trying her best, it was just amplified because her daughter was blaming her the entire time that she, and saying that she was never doing enough. So her daughter just wants to do more and refuses to accept how terrible things are and eventually takes things into her own hands to find a better way. She does find it and in turn inspires her mom to find that fighting spirit within herself as well. It was incredible how it all unfolded. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, but first, I need another glass of wine. How about you? That sounds empty. It's empty. All right, we're going to go debate this out, and the correct pronunciation is Raph, and we'll be right back. Without a doubt, you are currently enjoying the pure hilarity and delight while listening to the Lost Chill podcast. But I know, in about an hour or so, that old familiar sinking feeling will creep in. What do you even do each week after you finish listening to the latest episode of the Lost Chill? You miss the crazy shenanigans, the silly hootenanny, the general hullabaloo? If only there was another podcast you could listen to that had all those things. Well, have I got some good news for you? There is, and it's called the Death Metal Disco Podcast, hosted by our friend James, who talks about whatever the heck he pleases. We can promise that you will be absolutely tickled as he rambles on about anything and everything. Again, it's the Death Metal Disco Podcast. That's death as in the opposite of life, metal as in a genre of music that Taylor Swift has not gotten into yet, and disco, the place where some have been known to panic at. Be sure to check it out, and be sure to let James know that Katie and Kimmy sent you. Enjoy! Alright, you all settled with more wine? Yeah, and it's still Rafe. Just saying. Raphael, yeah, like, like the common pronunciation of Raphael. So during the break, I called in more reinforcements and... Uh, our friend Lindsay, who does our intro, uh, she agreed with me. Okay, that's fine, Kathy. <laughs> we just change pronunciations <laughs> when we give nicknames, right? No? Crumbly. Kelly? Crumbly? Yeah, that's all I could think of. For yourself? For you! Because you're crumbling with every pronunciation of names that comes up. She also was very dramatic with some <laughs> Snapchats. <laughs> about how nobody ever agrees with her and she's always right <laughs> that happened uh mob rule isn't a thing here because correction is yes I mean, it is c- correct pronunciation is. <laughs> Lindsay is a lit major and she knows all literature she literally doesn't read any books with us that is a fact but <laughs> drink right. from my sippy cup so, <clears throat> when we first meet Elsa, she is painfully lonely and believes herself to be unworthy and unlovable because that's how her family treated her. Throughout the story, we really saw her morph into a strong, independent woman who did end up becoming a warrior. What do you think were the most defining parts of the story that led to her transformation? And why do you think, even after all that time, she still saw herself as not enough? Well, seeing yourself as enough is a hard subject. And I'm sure it was even harder in the Dust Bowl times because there is literally no hope in sight. Much like COVID times. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> That's thank, not my thank final you, answer. Thank you for your uplifting <laughs> thoughts on that. Oh, did you have more you wanted to say? <laughs> Maybe a name to pronounce wrong. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, so when she's abandoned by her family, she's forced to basically grow up and something that she wasn't ready for. But she does a really good job with Rose leading her through motherhood and through all of the aspects of farm life since she's not accustomed to that. And I think that that certainly helped her to become the person that she was at the end of her life. So she was very much a mother, very much in love with her children, no matter how angsty Lareda was. And we do say that the same. Because they taught us how in the book. I know they did it. I was worried about Hermione. it the whole time though. Why? You should have been worried because about Because you have rape. a history. <laughs> you have you a history. You have a history. Wrath. <laughs> It's a hard A. Roth. Roth? Raphael. Wait. Then it would have been R A P H. Roth. I O. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those names my brain just went bloop over. Roth. I call him Roth. Like Luke. Roth is short for Raphael, not Raphael. How many times do I have to say it in the exact same way and you still don't Doesn't get it? doesn't matter. It's still wrong. That's fine. Anyway. It's not wrong. <laughs> so when she's forced to do all of that, she becomes a warrior for her kids eventually and does what she needs to do in order to keep them safe. <laughs> what? You don't agree with that? <laughs> she eventually becomes eventually. who her kids. I don't think. I think she always was. And that's what I didn't like about this book, honestly. You think she always was what? What her kids needed and the warrior her kids needed her to be. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You just said eventually when she gets there. Eventually, because it took her a minute to... It did not. She was always a good fucking mom. No, 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 Never said that, that she wasn't. She was very good. She protected them. She did the best that... We're feeling feisty now. The best that she could... With what she had when they were still in Texas. So I don't think that she was ever a bad mom. What I'm saying is she became more of a fighter, more of a warrior for them. She didn't back down. Eh, I still disagree. I think a lot of it is seen as she became a warrior at the end of the book. She was still good, but still a fucking doormat before then. I mean, like, I think she became a warrior the second she went to town and built her built herself and sewed herself a red dress and snuck out and said, I'm going to live my life. Mm-hmm. When she had the moment of bravery to ask Rose, will you love my daughter? This complete unwanted surprise baby pregnancy. She was brave. She was always a warrior. Sometimes warriors aren't just the super loud stand up in the crowd, get yourself shot, martyrs. You can be a warrior and fight for things in so many other ways. I just didn't like how the arc made it seem like the rest of her life was just too quiet and not enough. Like she needed to do this huge thing to redeem herself for everyone, including her daughter. Well, I see what you're saying, but 
I mean, for a lot of the time, she was refusing to better her life. Obviously, in hindsight, it's 2020. Going to California wasn't bettering herself in, in that regard. I just, I couldn't deal with that being the whole arc and, like, all of her quiet moments of bravery went unnoticed when it was all so very hard for her and she all tried so hard. I think that's what I didn't like is that there was just, like, so much weight on this one redeeming moment when I saw it the entire time. It wasn't one redeeming moment. Like, look at the, when she delivered Jean's baby. How badass that was. That was a fantastic example of how her inner warrior was there way before Jack was around. I guess maybe I see and just assume everyone saw her like Loretta did because... That's when Loretta got pissed enough at her to finally just up and leave. Yeah. And so I just saw all sorts of acts of bravery and confidence at her throughout. And while maybe she wasn't, you know, Natasha and this like huge glamorous warrior fighter, I think it was there all along. Rafe coming into her life was such a blessing. That truly was her way out of a terrible, hopeless situation. But then he became a selfish asshole who abandoned her and their children. And his parents were even disgusted that he did that. What do you think about the paradox of Rafe being both her saving grace and her biggest heartache? I think that is often very true to real life. You know, blessings in disguise. Or even something so painful that you can't see until later how good it was for you. I don't know that she would have ever gotten out if it wasn't for him. And so I'm grateful for him. I don't like him. Good riddance, you filthy coward. (laughs) Did you ever wonder what became of him since we never saw anything from him again? (laughs) No, honestly, I wondered more about the girl whose engagement got broken off when Elsa got pregnant and to see if if her life turned out better and she realized what a bullet she dodged. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about her at all, but I did think about him. Um, And I kind of, you know, share your, your same thoughts that he was a blessing in disguise and he wouldn't, she wouldn't have gotten out of that terrible living environment if it wasn't for her getting pregnant but he's a piece of shit he is i think he would have been a piece of shit even if the drought hadn't happened i agree he obviously had no backbone to withstand any hard times and he was a drunk he was a drunk but i don't think he would have withstood good times too yeah i agree Um, thankfully his parents were there to make things a lot better for her so they were really the blessing they were. I love they, really, they were fantastic. So, I mean, on that note, we get to see motherhood play out in so many different ways in this book. There's the cold and distant way that Elsa's mom treats her. There's the warm and welcoming love that Rose gives Elsa the mother-in-law. Then we see Elsa struggle with Loretta's angst and Rose struggling with Rafe's bad decision. And eventually, Rose even talks about how Elsa's mom loved her too little and she loved Raph too much. What did you learn about motherhood from all these women? There was one quote that stuck out to me in this book 
I thought about it even after I finished the book because it came to fruition at the end. And it's, do you remember what I told you on the day Laredo was born? Elsa almost smiled that she would love me as no one else ever would and make me crazy and try my soul. See, and you see how right I was? About part of it, I guess. She certainly breaks my heart. Yes, I was a trial to my poor mama too. The love it comes in the beginning of her life and at the end of yours. God is cruel that way. Your heart, is it too broken to love? So that was basically soul crushing to me because it is so true. You basically love this child at the beginning and they love you back and they think that you are the best person on the face of the planet. And then they get to the angsty teenage phase, which I'm dealing with right now. And they want nothing to do with you. So I really related to Elsa in that regard, um, how she was dealing with that, even with all of the other shit that she was dealing with. And then at the end, like how Loretta dealt with when Elsa died, she kept kicking herself for not appreciating how strong her mom was when she was alive. The whole time. <laughs> and so it's so true. The Luckily, hopefully, when our kids are older, we don't have to wait until, you know, we almost die to or getting close to death for them to appreciate us again. That's my hope, at least. It's just motherhood is gut-wrenching. And it's the best, and it's the worst, and it's all these moments in between. Would you say it's miserable and magical at the same time? Yes. Are you happy, free, confused, and lonely in the best way? Then I think you're 22 and not a mother. JK, you were a mother at 22. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, sorry. I have to get Taylor Swift in every episode, or I die. It's my curse. (laughs) From this guy named Luce, maybe you've heard of him. I got the sleepy sillies. That was really funny, and I played into your trap. (laughs) It's a tarp! It's a tarp! So, I really enjoyed the part where Rose was reflecting on both how she and Elsa's parents treated their respective children. Uh And kind of realizing how much balance there should be mm-hmm. and her saying, you know, your parents did not love you enough and you deserved more. But on the other hand, my son, I went too easy on him. I loved him too much. He needed more discipline. And that reminded me of a part in the book. I lent you for one more day by Mitch album uh-huh. where it kind of says that children are like glass And more or less, basically, that you can't handle glass without somehow altering it, be it fingerprints or smudges, to chips or cracks. I just enjoy that perspective because no one gets out of this completely unscathed and no one is a perfect parent. No. But you do your best so that, you know, there can still be light shining out of them at the end of the day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of um, 
underlying motherhood tones in this book that kind of got me in my feels a lot because I could relate to a lot of it being a daughter and being a mother (laughs) and that's what she said during the book tour was you know motherhood is the universal thread of it all Mm -hmm. so one of my other favorite things that Chris and Hannah said in the book tour was the need to put in the strained relationship between Lareda and Elsa because she knew that she could be living through the Dust Bowl, these worst of conditions, and she would still be fighting with her mother. I think Kristen Hannah did an excellent job of showing both sides of this mother-daughter dynamic very well. How did you feel reading that? Well, I think that she... This isn't the first book that she has portrayed the mother-daughter strained relationship dynamic. Firefly Lane was another one of hers where um, that was an extremely strained relationship as well. Um, So she portrays it in a way that makes you be able to relate to it if you do have children of your own or if you too were an angsty teen. So you can definitely relate to it, but she does it in a way where the daughters seem to always come around regardless of their, how bad their relationships were, which gives me hope <laughs> as a mom that it's not always going to be this way. And hopefully it doesn't take an enormous tragedy like those two books for that to be realized. But I think that she just plays on that dynamic so well, probably because she is a mom herself and, you know, it's easy to write what you know. Not easy, I should say, but it's It definitely helps to write what you know. So I think that she portrays those dynamics extremely well in all of her books. Absolutely. Um, I think in the book, the way she put it was she was mad at the world and somehow that meant she was mad at her mom Mm -hmm. most of all. And then I wrote down from the book tour, the way Uh she said it was just a slight variation was... She's finally learning how to stand on her own two feet. So she's going after the one who taught her how. Yeah. It's a strange time. It and is. They're, they're just learning. And it's it's true that, you know, you teach her, you're teaching her yeah. so much about how to be strong and how to be a warrior in her own way. And I think it's just easy. And you're there and she trusts you enough to still love her and be yeah. there that she tests her knowledge on you now. Yeah. What you taught her. So much fun. It's like in The Sister of the Traveling Man. (laughs) Another book that comes up every episode. Right? Where it's backwards from parents, but she has a strained relationship with her dad who's getting married, but she can't be mad at him. And so she asks her friend, she's like, it's so easy (laughs) to be mad at you, but why can't I be mad at him? Yeah. And her friend's like, that's because you trust me to still be there uh-huh. when you are mad at me. And I think it's the same way with you guys now. Yeah. <gasps> oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm going to p- press fast forward. That's not true because I don't want time to pass. But <laughs> Oh, man. But, you know, th- there's so many books where I've read where there's so many different kinds of strained relationships and different dynamics in that regard. But she just has a way with making me feel like I can relate 
so much more to these, probably because I'm living it right now, but, um, I don't know. I just feel like I relate to all of her characters and their dynamics in some way, shape or form. It's very strange. She has a very talented way of, of writing that way. Is that because she wrote about how Rose brought in more garlic than Elsa had ever seen in her life? You measure garlic with your heart. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that seems relatable for you. Yeah, it totally is. (laughs) So Elsa's husband tried to get her to leave, but barely tried to get her to leave. Elsa's daughter begged her to leave and berated her for being weak when she wouldn't. Finally, Aunt gets sick and she has no other option to leave. When they finally get to the alleged land of milk and honey, they found a lack of work and unwelcoming citizens. Do you think that things would have been better if they had just left earlier? I really don't. Uh, I kind of see it as two ways. Like, would they have been better off if they would have left with Raph earlier? I don't think things would have been good with him and he would have just left them in a foreign land or somewhere else. I don't think he was the staying kind, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that would have been rough to experience that heartache and that kind of blow away from home. Because if you remember, Elsa fucking died of a broken heart. Yeah, she did. And Rose talked her back into living. Yeah. Which, that, that was a crazy scene to me, but I could totally see it, and that was... I felt that scene. That was wild, but I could see it. But then I guess even just leaving earlier on her own, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference. She was still a single woman, and honestly, if she had gone earlier, it could have been even less help. I know we kept seeing multiple people, like a security guard in the hospital, and then the beautician lady who cut all their hair. They were all like, oh, when we got here five years ago, we remember. But they even mentioned it was hard then. And so I'm not sure how they got their one-up in life, maybe just less people. But I think it would have just been chasing wild geese and going nowhere. I don't think it would have been easier or better. I disagree. Um, I definitely think it would have been better for those reasons with the hairdresser. And then again with the security guard in the hospital who hands her $5 and says, um, I came here in whatever year, a few years beforehand. And it was a lot different back then. And while we don't know what their advantage was, I can only assume that they had less obstacles to deal with they weren't living in disgusting camps next to rivers that were gross and uh typhoid was running rampant through those camps so they at least had something working for them i could see that on one hand but both of the people who said it was better still had the man there and the guy in their life and i think A lot of times when people are mistreating people, they'll often go for the easiest thing. And if it's not being like one of the other millions flooding the country and not being clean and all that, I think they would have found something else like 
oh yeah, we'd prefer to hire someone from a whole family. Yeah. Put that sort of blame on you, put something else like that. Yeah. So I think they would have found something else. I'm sure, you know, because she even had a lie when she got to the wealthy farm and said that her husband was a couple days behind her because they were already looking down upon her and, you know, it's just one thing after another, constantly being judged for something when she's in California. Absolutely. And I think, too, maybe without people being so established, like Jean, to help her learn the ropes and know what to do, I think that could have been a different kind of obstacle. I don't know. I appreciated the other part that I didn't think was necessarily portrayed well in the book, but on the book tour... Kristen Hanna was making a point to say how bravery presents in many different types of ways. And I thought in the book it was more shown as the people who stayed were just too stubborn and attached to their land to make the better choice. But, you know, in the book tour she was saying, you know, sometimes bravery is staying and bravery is still believing it can get better. Yeah. And that kind of thing. So I enjoyed that, but I didn't think it portrayed in the book as much as it seemed to on her heart before I read it and I heard that. I think it was definitely hard on Rose and Tony to stay behind because first of all they're leaving their family and then you don't know when it's going to get better. You have absolutely no idea. You keep saying well when it rains, when it rains, when it rains. Well when the fuck is that? There's that too but with them they already did this. They already left a bad situation to search what was believed to be promised and better. Right. And for them, I'm sure there were struggles. You saw how Elsa's dad treated them for being Italian. Right. You know, they were already looked down upon and treated poorly for being different, for being outsiders and all of that. Yeah. But it worked out for them when they persevered and stayed there in their new place. They chased their dream. They put down their roots, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to have to go through that all again. No, I, I get that, and they were older. Yeah. You know, it's, it's harder, obviously, but I don't know what I would have done. It's definitely a hard decision to ever have to make. Like, do you, you know, somewhere that's been good to you and you've had a good life, how long do you wait for that to come back when it leaves before you go chasing into the I mean, unknown? It's the same as a job. Hmm. leave if you need to leave this is a sign yeah it gets better better than you could ever imagine it does uh so (laughs) with that (laughs) eventually the martinelli's ended up on the wealthiest farm where they were overcharged and kept them living in terrible conditions by weighing them down with debt making them unable to leave so that's when we're introduced to jack and his communist pals who are fighting hard to better all the workers' conditions. What are your thoughts seeing the government bending to the will of the farmers and just flat out not caring about so many people in need? You know, it was nice that there was someone fighting for them and someone who cared. I think that there's always a push and pull with governments and companies, and I don't think either one is going to be the one to save each other or make things better. I think it will always and forever be the people like Jean 
and the people like Elsa who look out for their neighbors, who care the most, who have nothing and still find some generosity to share with others who are suffering. And, you know, there can be good companies, there can be good governments, they can take care of people. But before any of that, even we need to take care of each other because there will also be bad companies and bad governments that won't. And I don't think we should ever put anything or depend on them wholeheartedly, but we should look out for each other. Well, very well said. But I need to touch on the fact how fucked up it was that Welty marched his ass down there to the government assistant li- assistance line <laughs> and stopped all government assistance to all the workers on his farm because they were employed. But yet he was keeping them in debt. And it was the most fucked up thing ever. So I was pissed about that. (laughs) So there's that. And we made eye contact earlier. It was beautiful. It was And then after the eye contact, we had a moment where we had a conversation with our eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So Loretta is the one who meets Jack when she runs away. And she's smitten with him right away. Did you like Jack? Do you... So first of all, did you like Jack? And do you think that he was completely innocent and could not have all foreseen that Welty was the fucking biggest asshole of all the farmers and didn't plant Elsa there intentionally for a reason in the worst possible spot? Well, I didn't think about that until you just said that. I love Jack. Hmm. Yep, I knew you were going to say that. Hmm. Yep. Because of the eye contact earlier. The eye earlier. contact and the eye contact conversation. <laughs> That's why I knew that she was... I inferred that she <laughs> was going to say that. But I had not thought about that before. I don't like your tomfoolery there. So... Fuck! Do you, do you think he would have stayed with Elsa had she lived? Or... I like... I would like to think that he would. I cannot say for certain. So romantic. I felt the whole time he was playing her. He was using her as a pawn in her in his little chess game. And I didn't like that. He felt too slick. And I mean, he had that history of being associated with everyone for Hollywood and being beautiful. Like, I just saw him as this slick little dream boy with bigger words than anything else and that's how he got her got her daughter with all his fancy words and well i felt like she was so fucking used and i think it was good for her i think she knew that sometimes you need a good fucking with a hot guy what if <laughs> i don't hold not that judging. against her no not judging but i don't think his intentions were pure or whole i think he was playing her like a fiddle to get his way i think he was he had a kind of vacancy in his plan that he wanted he wanted someone who was a worker who people could listen to who they could relate to and oh look oh he fits this bill and she has this angsty daughter she's fighting with i didn't like him oh look i just know of a spot on this farm with this really bad farmer it doesn't it look so nice he has all of this stuff here we keep you and your family safe oh weird i'm really mad at you right now (laughs) I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry. This is so backwards right now. No, it's not. Actually. Because I'm trying to see the good in it. To me, You're poking holes at it. But did you not want to know more about him? Like how he could afford to do this? How he, where he was getting his money from? Was it something That's part of the reason why I didn't trust him. Well, I mean, what if he was, I mean, he was friends with all these Hollywood celebrities. What if he was a celebrity himself and they just didn't know because, and he never said anything because they were so detached from that life. They had no idea who celebrities were anymore. I mean, Loretta assumed that Natasha was a celebrity. So what difference does that make? Well, I just want to know who he was. You like celebrities. Yeah. Why not? You like Taylor. She's a storyteller. I like good stories. (laughs) What? I like good stories. (laughs) You have hurt me today. I'm so sorry. And I... No, really, he was probably... Exactly as he seemed, not at all too good to be true, just some magical, perfect I... figure who not only looked good, saved their life, but also had the best intentions while doing it the you entire time. bite your sarcastic tongue over there. I wanted the best. I got the finger out and everything. I'm she pointing at her. at me. I wanted something good for Elsa. And that is yeah, why. Yeah, she got fucked for real this time. <laughs> But I wanted love for her, like real, real, true love. And that's... She found that with Jean, because sometimes the best love is with our friends. And the good sex is with these hot guys who look like Hollywood actors. I'm mad at you. (laughs) I'm still reeling. Because I didn't even look at it from that perspective at all. And so now I'm mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) Oopsie poopsie. <laughs> you bitch. You broke the story for me. So, he was the redeeming one, not Elsa, not Rose. I never said that they weren't, but I wanted her to have that great love story that she was denied with the dipshit. Oh, so a girl's life story is nothing without love? Quit twisting forget, my fucking forget words. Forget her friends and her children. I am too tired to stick up for myself right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's wounded. I am wounded. We will. Uh, I am wrong. It's Rafe for sure. For sure, Rafe. <laughs> for sure. And um, I'm gonna go in the corner and lick my wounds. Is there anything I'm else so you wanted sad. to ask me? I don't know. Uh, no, because I don't even want to fucking know. what else can Kimmy ruin how else can Kimmy ruin this fucking book for me that I fucking loved and was finishing while I was sitting in my hairdresser's chair hi Jennifer and (laughs) I was processing and trying not to be obvious crying next to the ladies next to me but it's okay ruin this for me so sorry maybe don't okay let me ask you no 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 okay i'm gonna ask you kimmy yes what did you think about the ending of this story with elsa becoming a warrior and finally standing up for what she believed in are you gonna break my heart some more are you gonna hurt me i don't think i'll hurt you okay so i think 
for me, I have mentioned that I think she was a fucking warrior the entire time. Yep. And I loved her and she was great and strong. What was lacking for me was that I feel like it was tied up almost too neatly and in too pretty of a manner. Yes, it was obviously devastating that she died. But I think of all the other ways that could have been less dramatic. And I wonder if her mom hadn't said anything and gotten on top of the car and said her piece if all she had done was go try to sit in the field. And then they stayed there because they didn't have to leave to go bury a mother in her homeland. Would Loretta have respected her as much for showing that piece of bravery? So, like, it literally took her mom getting shot. Like, that's how it felt to me. And I was trying to play out all these different ways. And it felt like her dying was the only thing that brought real change in their relationship. And I hated that. And I even, like, thought of other ways of if the guys who came out shooting, if they had missed, or not even missed, but been as ruthless as the Russians, and instead of going for the real target, going for who they love, if Loretta or Aunt had gotten shot, you know, that would have crushed all of the beliefs and made it all for naught. Yeah. And so it kind of almost just worked out too well in a way that I felt like I would have liked their reconciliation in Loretta being proud of her mom without her having to die. Sure. And I worry that that wouldn't have happened any other way. If like, even like, even if Elsa hadn't gotten shot and died and they had just stayed, you know, obviously the people eventually went back to work. We know this, the strikes didn't last forever. They didn't instantly win and get more wages. Yeah. And so had they just stayed in California and even continue fighting, like I would have enjoyed that. I think more to have it grow over time and seeing the different ways my mom can be brave, even if it's not this huge one huge thing. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that aspect of it. Um, but I disagree with that you didn't, well, you can have your own opinion on it, but I'm going to tell you my opinion. Yes, please share. <laughs> um, I enjoy when books are tied up neatly in a little bow for me. So that's why I enjoyed the ending so much. And I thought it How was... How fucked up is it that uh, tied up in a neat little bow for us is her, the main character dying? Yeah. But I still think it was good. Okay. I, I, I respect authors who are not afraid to kill the main character. I respect the shit out of them for that. Because it used to be, oh, this is the main character... They're not going to die. <laughs> they are They're immortal. Safe. They're safe. Invincible. They're going to get through this, and I don't have to worry about mourning the loss of this character. Now you just never know. Nope, you don't. And so I respect the fuck out of any author who has the balls to do that, and Kristen Hanna definitely has the balls to do that. <laughs> like I said, the queen of historical fiction. All right. Well, I think we've... Touched on a lot of incredible things. We've yeah. learned a lot about each other and about this book. And how you hurt me. So mm. should we maybe give our ratings? Yep. So, all right. So as you know, we have a TLC rating system for every book that we read here of one through five stars. Five is an all-time favorite book. 
Four is great. I want to find more by more books by this author. Three, this was a solid book. It was really good. Two, not very good. Could have lived without reading it. And one, why the fuck did I waste my time on this rubbish? Kimmy? For me, this book was a solid three, as it was a solid book. But it wasn't more than that to me. Yeah. I disagree. Yeah? What do you give it? <laughs> I give it a five. Wow. Yeah. I... I loved it. You don't think that's a little jacked up? I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) What? What happened? (laughs) Oh, God. So this is one of your all-time favorites? Yeah, it is. I I felt very at peace when I closed the book. Really? I felt so unsettled. Really? I, yeah, I like... That's so crazy. (laughs) Weird. Yeah. I love it. I'm curious, what are your top five Kristen Hanna books? Well, let's, let's do top three Kristen Hanna books. Top three. Okay. Top three. First for me is Hands Down the Nightingale. That book moved me, inspired me. Yeah. I loved those sisters. Like, I was just so moved, so uplifted. I fucking loved that book. Two would be The Night Road. Admittedly, I have not read that one yet. It's been a long time since I read it, and honestly, what I remember most might turn you off about reading it, but that ripped my fucking heart out into a million pieces, crushed them, <laughs> then she vacuumed them all up, put them in a blender, put the blender on high, Fuck. poured out the soup, <laughs> fucking boiled it till it all evaporated into nothing, and then like just destroyed it. As far as she possibly could. So did could. you just cry the entire book? Yeah. Okay. It was rough, okay. but I loved it. All right. And then number three <laughs> of the ones that I've read, which is not that many out of 24. Right. Just a fraction, unfortunately, but I hope to add more. Three would be Firefly Lane. Those okay. characters were so relatable. They were. Friendship was relatable in some ways. Not mm-hmm. to ours. <laughs> Ours is much better than that. Duh. There's not this under, like underscoring rivalry no. in everything except for name pronunciation. Yeah, but that's And if never that's the gonna... only thing, then I can deal with that probably. Yeah. Except yeah. you're wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. Hmm. So what are your top three? <laughs> Mine are completely different from yours. And I've read pretty much all of the same Christian Hannah books that you have except for The Night Road. And so my number one is The Great Alone. That's my number five. I know, which is so weird uh, because The Nightingale is my number five. Hmm. Yeah. So you're as wrong about Christiana <laughs> books as you are about names <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Your eight is showing. Put oh, it oh, away. Sorry. Let me tuck that in. <laughs> um, so I love The Great Alone mainly because of how she describes the Alaskan setting. It, I, did I say that funny? No. Oh, okay. I just think it's weird that you think the way a setting is described is why a book well, would be your favorite. No, 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 no. Not just that. I mean, there's 10,000 other things, but okay. that is the thing that I absolutely love the most because it made me want to pick up and just go there. And I fucking hate the cold. <laughs> but nope, she's not that good of a writer. I still do not want to move to the cold and be there. I was like, nope, that sounds terrible, but you describe it well. <laughs> she did describe it well, but it was just a fantastic journey. And that was the book that I fell in love with her 
when I read two. Um, two would be the four wins. I know. I know. Would it, We're so topsy turvy. Yeah. We are. Okay. Um, yeah. So obviously for everything that we've discussed in this episode, although I might have to reevaluate that because Kimmy did just break my heart. So <laughs> make me look from different perspectives, which is what this podcast is supposed to do. Indeed. So you did your fucking job, but fuck off. <laughs> is that fair enough? In exchange, I'll call him Rafe. Fine. I'll take it. See? Compromise. I won. I won. I won. The battle, but not the war. <laughs> um, and then number three um, would have to be Firefly Lane as well. Um, it was just, it was a good book. <laughs> it was. What can I say? So we hope that you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on The Four Winds and a few other Chris and Hannah books. We want to hear your thoughts too. Please reach out to us on social media at The Lost Chill on Instagram and Facebook. Tell us your ratings of Chris and Hannah books, which ones we should read next that we haven't mentioned. Give us your thoughts on The Four Winds and give us a follow so you can always know what books are on the horizon. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning just in time to have with some coffee. Next week, we will be discussing Outlawed by Anna North. And the following week, we'll be discussing The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. We also have our full schedule for the month of March listed on Facebook and Instagram. We are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show, and we can't wait to hear your thoughts about this book. We'll see you next time.